How does that sound at your end? You sound silky smooth. All right. I do have kittens in here playing with a blanket, so I may have to eject them at some future point. (laughs) You like your podcast with cats? We got you covered. Do a cat podcast with like nothing but cat. Cat cast. It's funny talking about cats. I was uh, playing a game on the other night, and yeah, I had my voice chat. And this guy was from the military, very, uh, you know, he first started off the conversation with like, you know, ask where he lived. He's like, oh, I've moved around because I work in the military. They went here, went there, I went to California. Don't judge me by that. I'm like, well, I live in California, so I'm not going to judge. He's like, oh. And then like, <laughs> like later, like my cat made a noise in the background. And I was like, you know, I was like, hey, buddy, to my cat. And he's like, who's that? You got a kid? I'm like, no, it's my cat. He's like, are you gay? <laughs> I'm like, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what does having what? a cat have to do with my sexuality? It's like, no, I just have, I have two cats and I like my cats. Dudes have cats too, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gay, but are you desensitized? <laughs> are you living a full and complete life? I'm going to say probably not. Yep, exactly. Who's fuck, Mary kill is it? It is mine. I'm going to start this out with our fuck Mary kill kind of in honor of the fact that it's apollo 11th's 50th anniversary of the moon landing um can i ask an important question why aren't we just going straight to mars why do we have to go to the moon and then mars as inquiring minds want to know like our president our presidential mainstay did you guys see that because he's not that bright <laughs> excellent <laughs> Why can't we go straight there? Can you imagine how much life loss there would be? <laughs> Fuck it. Let's just go. For- you know what? He's got enough people in his family. I think that they each one of them should volunteer for a direct test mission. <laughs> in honor of your country. <laughs> but Tyler, I just found you some new shoes. Ooh. <laughs> in honor of Apollo 11th's 50th anniversary of the moon landing, I decided for our Fuck, Mary Kill, I would go a little off the beaten path and go with NASA, Boeing, or SpaceX. What about Space Force? <laughs> they are taking on evil from what may. They are fighting all crimes to save the day. They are extremely close in an ambiguous way. Space, Space Force. Force. If you're living in a bubble and you haven't got a kiss, well, you're gonna be in trouble cause we're gonna steal your ass. Nah, Space Force is dead to me. <laughs> oh, come on. I was totally hoping for like a gay menage a trois. <laughs> Anything goes in space. That's what I totally imagined. I imagined like ambiguously gay duo as like on all of their logo and marketing material for Space Force. Like I just can't help it. Immediately I think of just bags pounding it out. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm really upset that I can't be a part of that. So, okay. So Boeing, NASA, and SpaceX. Yeah. And also click the links below to view these anniversary shoes. Those those are are really slick. (laughs) Right? God, I could. I like the bottom. I could totally be wearing those when I was with the Space Force people. 
See? I mean, you know yeah. that's what NASA's wearing. Because you, know, you know, you know, you want to keep your shoes on during a gangbang because the floor gets all sticky. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta come prepared. Uh, With space age technology, technology, you can honor, honor NASA, NASA and, and not, not get your feet, your feet sticky. sticky. And earn your gold wings, apparently. Yep. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'm from the Midwest, and Boeing has a huge facility out there. And as record has proven, they're totally capable of going down. So I'm thinking they're good for at least a fuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> and then, you know, the atomic era in me just thinks that I would marry my old standby NASA. They they kind of have proven themselves and seem the a little more and educated. And, old faithful. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't know. SpaceX is sleek and shiny and fancy, yep. but I don't think it's like married. A, a hot hookup kind of thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's good marrying material. So I think I'm going to have to kill them. Although Elon is doing some really interesting things with AI, and I hope we get to talk about that later. Yes. But yes, as far as like a fuck, I'm gonna have to get rid of you. You're kind of too shiny and shit for me. Like these shoes, in fact. <laughs> so that's my fuck, Mary kill. Right. Jolly good, jolly good. What about you, Tyler? I think I'm gonna go. Yeah, this, the the old traditional NASA because I'm gonna I'm gonna marry that that beautiful old gal. <laughs> I like yeah, those cause... curves. Mm. Well, it's, it's like a sh- it's like you know a, sh- a ship like you know it's always referred to as a woman. <laughs> well, just remember their logo is called the meatball. So <laughs> I want to hear more about it being like a ship. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you always you know you like naval vessels or whatnot. Like they're always referred to as like the female pronoun. The lady. She's down yeah. for multiple passengers. Yep. So NASA, I, I, th- I like to think of NASA as an old ship that's uh you know tried and true done her job and is carrying on beautifully, and you're just gonna marry and lock in with that. I mean, for for a woman who continues to do the job is worth marrying. Like, you know, 20 years in, she's still doing the job. I think she's a keeper. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Thanks, babe. I'm probably going to I'm probably going to fuck SpaceX because it's, you know, it's hot, young and vivacious and ambitious. And it's got a (laughs) lot of a lot of burning, burning passion. So, you know, it'd be be a fun lay. (laughs) I'm going to kill Boeing because Boeing's huge part of the military industrial complex. Not to say NASA isn't either, but Boeing is definitely uh, big into that. Right. I kind of think I'm I'm probably going to agree with you, Tyler, on this one. Because, well, even though Boeing has like a template for a new fancy spacesuit, I'm going to stick with Nike on the shoes and just stick with the old faithful <laughs> spacesuit for now. <laughs> Call them all reliable. <laughs> right. I'm going to kill kill Boeing as well and... and uh, I'm going to fuck me some SpaceX because, hell yeah, young, hot, new bod. Woo! Yeah. It's going to just be a one-time thing. I'm going for it. <laughs> going for the gold. But the question <laughs> is, will you be wearing your NASA X PG3 Apollo mission shoes? Your Nikes here. These are, are you going to be wearing well, those? Well, probably because I'm assuming it would ha- occur in the back of a Tesla. So <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have time to take my no, shoes you could off. No, yeah, you could do it while the Tesla's driving you. I've already seen stuff like that where people are having sex while the Tesla's driving. Oh, no. It's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was only a matter you, of time. <laughs> like we, we, knew was, we knew it was going to happen. It was just like, oh, yep, there it is. And there it is. Your sex driving car. <laughs> I mean, this is how you loop in the new kids. Sex driving cars in these shoes. Do you see that there is an option to buy new at 150 or you can buy used at 60 I'm buying some used. Yeah. Man, it's like a car. Look at the depreciation <laughs> <It's like> value. <laughs> the moment you take your kicks out in the street. 
they lose a hundred dollars. <laughs> He's like, I wore it for a day and now. Yep. That's awesome. That's that's the other reason too. So like I can keep my NASA shoes on, which would be like my wedding ring, while screwing in the back of the Tesla while it's driving me, having <laughs> having sexy time with SpaceX. Does that just add to the thrill of it? <laughs> I like yeah. I like the idea that she cheats with her wedding ring on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just look at it periodically, be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, take that. Oh, nasty! You don't even know. <laughs> with her gold swoosh in the in the air, <laughs> or down below, I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> Nor do I want to know. <laughs> or do you? <laughs> mm-hmm. I do not. You cheat on me. Don't tell me about it. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. I don't know (laughs) nothing about it. But yeah. So so that's how our dirty space happenings are going down, I guess. That's right. I'm fucking marrying NASA and boning Boeing and murdering (laughs) SpaceX and wishing for Space Force. That's fantastic. (laughs) Well, fantasizing (laughs) about Space Force. (laughs) (laughs) I may be with you now, but I'm thinking of someone else. (laughs) And then it cuts awesome. and then it cuts to just zooms into this gold part of the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> You're leaving me now. You'll take away the biggest part of me. Ooh, now, baby, please don't go. Exactly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So yesterday technically was the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing. Yes. So 50 years ago, we set foot on the moon and we said, it's ours, it's ours. (laughs) So for those who don't know, Tyler, maybe you could clue us in on the importance of returning to the moon. Yeah. So like the basic idea is the moon is closer. It's more attainable. We can get resources there more readily. We can set up camp. I think I've discussed before, it'd be like a proving ground for further exploration and whatnot. Like what we need to do, what works, what doesn't work, but still be reachable as opposed to Mars, which is much further out. Like this way we can have a little close base of operations that we can work out the kinks and have it like a refuel station for heading out elsewhere. Now, when you say work out the kinks, are we talking about fuck, Mary kill still or? Oh, no. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe a little. I'm sure somebody's going to be boning on the moon eventually. <laughs> now, that I do find hysterical is I think when we were listening to the Habitat, they were talking about how no one's ever had sex in space. And we're like, yeah, I'm not buying that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I think even they included it, like the caveat that, you know, it's like, as far as we know, no one has. <laughs> no one has documented having sex in space. I yep. don't ever remember NASA providing shampoo and conditioner. What is this floating in the air? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Oh, is that hair gel? <laughs> On your ear. Is that a hair gel? Yeah. Great. Yeah, I can use no, 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 don't, don't, you don't. What I find interesting is, so 50 years ago, it was a race to the moon. We won. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. But now it's kind of like a race back to the moon is what I'm gathering. Yeah, because everyone's wanting to go to the moon. It's the hot place to be right now. Yeah, it says the European Space Agency is working with Canada and Japanese space agencies to prepare its Hercules mission to the moon, which will be carried out in the mid to late 2020s. Someone else jumped on board too. Israel mm. is also trying to go. 
Oh, sorry. Israel was planning on going. It has a nonprofit company called Space IL, but it's abandoned plans for its second moonshot after its original mission crash landed in April. But it does seem like many countries, China's, China's going, Canada, Japan, us, and you can bet your bottom dollar Russia's up in there too. Yeah. I mean, you know, China's already been there and there's, you know, reports of them establishing a robotic outpost on the southern pole in the late yeah 2020s. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's interesting. What did India shoot up here recently? I feel like it there was a failure, though. Failure to launch. India's second moonshot has been delayed because the first one did not go well. Yeah. So India's trying to make it, too, but they're coming up short. So sorry, India. Maybe you should screw SpaceX. It'll help you get there. <laughs> oh, my God. I think they just want to take their money and, and use their resources and try to figure it out on their own for a change and, and get their own stable footing in the market. Right. Yeah, I find it interesting because like a lot of our missions for NASA, we launch out of Russia in conjunction with Russia to the International Space Station. Yeah, a lot of them, a lot of it, I feel should be a collaborative thing. It shouldn't just be like, you know, one nation, but it should you know be... A team of nations working together for a common goal kind of thing. Yeah, because imagine like all the brain power that we could have if we combined. I mean, I've seen the movie Arrival with Amy Adams and the world was coming to an end and they all work together. <laughs> like, <laughs> remember, remember when people work together in fiction land? <laughs> I mean, it would really literally take a giant alien or space monster of some capacity because the threat to you know, global warming and climate change has just got the business people chomping at the bit to make sure that they corner the market on the most valued resource. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think there's some validity in that statement there, and it would be nice that if we could all collaborate together instead of you know everyone recreating the wheel separately. I mean, I don't know, but there's some validity to to people maybe learning that way and. You know, I guess there's some thinking to that. I, I don't know. It's it's going to be like the end of the Watchmen comic. <laughs> Did you guys ever read that? I didn't read it. No, I watched the No, I just yeah. saw the movie. So the movie, they changed the ending. Like, they stay pretty true to the book, except for the ending, because the ending in the book is kind of stupid. <laughs> so, like, the, the villain is trying to find a way to unite humanity. So, basically, he finds a way to teleport this giant squid monster that's washed up from the ocean into like the middle of Manhattan and so it falls and then like they claim that it's an alien attack so like humanity unites and that was like his whole goal was to you know get humanity to work together but like by dropping a giant like octopus monster (laughs) in the middle of Manhattan (laughs) they changed it to Mr. Manhattan which is the 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 blue guy that's like naked the whole time has his ding dong hanging out ding dong ding dong There's um, no hot dog bun big enough for that ding dong, let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> Scientists haven't been able to wrap their minds around making a bun big enough for that dog. <laughs> they brought in the world's experts in baking and <laughs> crafting of the of culinary arts, and they still can't unravel it. That, I think they should have just dropped him in with his big old dog. Maybe that's what they were thinking of, but they were like, that's too pervy. We'll just, <laughs> somebody in the other room was like, an octopus or a squid or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, you know, it was, it was Alan Moore. So Alan Moore is a little, little out there. Little out there. What was this article you sent, Tyler? The China's oh, robotic um, outpost? Yeah. I just found that in my just Googling right now. Looks like they're, you know, with it being rich in water and uh, you know ice in the ice form so it looks like they're looking to set up like a robotic like moon village on it 
Okay. The moon's water-rich South Pole is getting a lot of interest these days. This will help keep lunar pioneers alive. It could also allow them and other deep space explorers to get around far more efficiently by breaking down water into its base elements, hydrogen and oxygen. NASA aims to send two astronauts to the moon's South Pole by 2024, and to establish a moon village, opening the path for corporate ventures. The South Pole is also being eyed by China's space program. With the success of the Chang'e remote exploration, there are plans for the retrieval of samples from the moon. With this information, China plans to establish a moon base before 2030. So it's going to kind of be like the pioneer days. It's going to be like the Wild West, but hopefully with a little more organization. Westward expansion. Moon. Yeah, yeah. It's not going to be people shooting each other because that shit don't work there. <laughs> Okay, then there's China. The South Pole is also in the crosshairs of the nation's ambitious Chang Exploration Program, which has already sent four robotic missions to the moon. The Chang-1 and Chang-2 spacecraft reached lunar orbit in 2007 and 2010, respectively, and the Chang-3 land rover duo touched down in late 2013 in January of this year. When, when did this article come out? Three days ago. Oh, so nice. July 18th. So technically, they've been there. So they're probably going to feel like they have more of a a stake a in lead it. in that lead yeah. in that area based on what they've already been able to bring. And I think there's kind of some validity to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you guys hear like a while ago, Trump was trying to sell the International Space Station? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Is that a real thing? No, but not surprised. I thought about researching this, but since we're kind of on that topic. If he can erase Obama or his tried and true game is to relabel everything with his name on it. He does nothing but relabel things with his name on it. Yep. Well, because he's got just horrible uh, self-esteem issues. I looked it up. The Chang It's a Chang Yi. It's actually the Chinese goddess for the moon. So. Oh, oh they're like, no, we own this bitch. This is ours. <laughs> we branded it, and you guys are fucking selling Trump shit. We don't want it. Real quick, like, I heard about this a while ago. This was, oh, I guess this was just at the beginning of June, actually, June 7th, 2019. It says NASA went to the stock exchange to try to sell the ISS. The Trump administration is trying to turn the International Space Station into a business. It could learn from the first guy to try that, who was Ronald Reagan. Hmm. Reaganomics. <laughs> that worked. It says the Trump administration is not the first to try to privatize low Earth orbit in the space station. That honor goes to Ronald Reagan, the other celebrity turned president. As Reagan pushed for the creation of the ISS, he baked privatization in from its inception. A professed lover of outer space, UFOs, and science fiction, Reagan dedicated NASA to rewrite decade-old laws to make NASA more amenable to commercialization. Now many of the initiatives he spearheaded are coming to fruition under Trump, wrapped in the same free market rhetoric and emotional appeals to American leadership. Despite Reagan's optimism about the glorious future of space capitalism, the market wasn't ready to support his plans. It's uncertain whether today will or not. I mean, it's going to be a business when it hits Mars, and China knows that. And, you know, I mean, e even as we were talking about this, we're like, oh, it's literally like, it's like the fucking Wild West Prairie days. I mean, it's... 
Yeah. Hopefully. You get there, stake a claim, it's yours kind of thing. Yeah. It says, Reagan's dream of privatizing low Earth's orbit came crashing down literally and figuratively on January 28th, 1986, when the space shuttle Challenger blew up during flight and killed all seven astronauts on board. By the time shuttle flights resumed two years later, plans for the space station were on life support. As Congress was preparing its budget for 1989, there was a strong push in the Senate to only provide a bare minimum of funding and about $250 million for its development, far short of Reagan's request for nearly $1 billion. The president fought back at NASA's behest, and Congress ultimately agreed to appropriate $900 million for the space station's development. But we didn't actually get the space station until 20 years ago. So that's interesting. It took so long for it even to happen yeah. between you know financial hang-ups i'm sure and then actually working out the logistics of doing the it and getting all the equipment prepped and having to produce that set equipment so lastly it says but through all this the iss has been largely ignored nasa insists there's a business case for its orbital outpost using the facilities on the space station will be incredibly expensive. However, so it's still not clear whether companies will find it attractive without significant government subsidiaries, regardless of the outcome when NASA visited NASDAQ this morning. When NASA meets NASCAR. <laughs> regardless of the outcome when NASA visited NASDAQ this morning, it made a Reagan era dream come true. Another article that I had seen mentioned how NASA Actually, it was a, a video, one of those little now this videos about how they're sending, they're trying to test 3D printing for space parts because mm. that's obviously an issue. Yeah, we've talked about this. I don't think this particularly. We have talked about NASA using printers to build tools. Yeah, to build tools. But this is like structural beams and shit. Oh, wow. wow. NASA announced on July 12th, it awarded a $73 million contract to... A space manufacturing company called Made in Space Incorporated. They had a lot of mind meetings on what they should call their company, for, obviously. Um, <laughs> that was the most ingenious that they could come up with. So they're to demonstrate if a small spacecraft can make vehicle parts mm -hmm. in orbit. So That makes sense. What this company is doing is the spacecraft will launch in 2022 or later. And once it's in low Earth orbit, it will begin to to do the 3D printing. Start manufacturing it... fucking parts? That is amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's going to try to manufacture beams typically the size of solar panels on a spacecraft. So that's quite large, honestly. It's not, not small. And I guess, I mean, so like we're 3D printing parts here, but we have gravity. So I would imagine that would be incredibly hard. How do you... How do you figure that machine out? Yeah, exactly. But it's to make parts for NASA's moon mission and stuff too. So, yeah, so it'd be hard to test in, you know, on our environment. They probably have to do something like testing up an orbit kind of thing and like zero G and then kind of reverse engineer from there. I don't know how, how the printers work. Does that begin like um, like all plasticine, like tiny beads, and then it gets melted down and then, and then it goes into a form or a mold that's been generated by the printer? How does that work? It's Essentially, yeah. I mean, I haven't like. It brings the goo to you. <laughs> Was it goo or because plasticine <laughs> is just like uh, it's like pebbles. It's like little beads, right? Yeah. I think the way three D printers work is differently based on what it's trying to print. 
It says a 3D printer essentially works by extruding molten plastic through a tiny nozzle that moves around precisely under computer control. It prints one layer, waits for it to dry, and then it prints the next layer on top of it. The plastic... Yeah, in space, that shit's floating around. Yeah, so that would be... I wonder if where it's printing it, maybe it has a a gravity chamber? I don't don't know. know. I just made that up. Is that that a thing? (laughs) I mean, you can create artificial gravity in space by centrifugal force. So, like, when you see, like, you know, in sci-fi movies where you see, like, the spaceship is, like, a big circle. Yeah, spinning around. So, it's it's, uh, everything on the inside is flinging to the outside. Okay. Um, Just like when you have diarrhea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cha-cha-cha. Um, I have, so, I have yeah, no you, idea what's happening there with that diarrhea statement. <laughs> Julie, Julie, everything you, that you have spinning on the inside just all right, to the well, outside. <laughs> <laughs> um, Go ahead, Tyler. But yeah, so like you, you could do it that way. That but makes a, sense. again, that's also, but that's also, that's a way more advanced engineering and that you need for like, yeah, I don't know. It, that's it, it one seems, expensive Yeah, printer. more work than it's worth, essentially. Okay, so they would have. I, I do remember kind of learning that from the Stanley Kubrick film 2001 Space Odyssey. That's why everything in that movie is kind of circular. It, it's a prominent feature in the movie, and, and that's because learning an investigation of space and how it works, everything has to rotate in a circle in order for it to have the zero gravity effect. Yeah. I imagine you could be able to do it on the moon. You definitely have to, I don't know, adapt to the fact, like you said, reduce gravity so it's not going to behave the same way. But I imagine, you know. There, there's smarter people out there who will figure it out. Right, right. <laughs> now, do you think that we should test that and figure that out on the moon first, or do you think we should be like, well, we got this once we're on Mars? Uh, to get to Mars, you have to land on the moon, they say. Any way of going directly without landing on the moon? Is that a possibility? It seems to me Mars direct. Yeah, no, we should you know, definitely try it out on the moon <laughs> okay. first. Because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, say Mars, Mars has a very similar gravity to Earth, so it's not that much different, but the moon is a lot lower. But again, you know, using the moon as a... It's a little colder also on Mars. Yeah, but you'd be doing these in like, you know, facilities. You wouldn't just be doing it out on the lunar surface. So again, Trump should just go straight to Mars. Okay, so if we don't engineer this while we're figuring it out on the moon and we're waiting to figure it out while we're on Mars, one of the things that would have to be taken in consideration is the temperature, right? Environment. Yes and no. I mean, again, like if 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 you yeah, if you create an indoor environment and you're creating it for habitable with humans, it would just be normal human temperatures as opposed to. So outside. then there's validity to his statement. Why are we stopping? Well, because what if something goes wrong? It's harder to get to Mars to help rescue. Yeah, exactly. We have to we have to come up with every probable problem, <laughs> like every probable circumstance that could arise, and we need to come up with it and have a solution for it. Because, you know, Apollo 13, they were having a grand old time and then shit got really fucked up and they had to fix it on the fly. Fixing it on the fly when you're in low Earth orbit, essentially the sweet zone. The sweet zone. I like it. You know, they can they can pop back in with a touch of a button or a duct tape of a hose. But when yeah. you're freaking... What is it, how long does it take to get to Mars? Like, I mean, the... It depends on oh, how Mars, they go it, about it. They're gonna, yeah. they're, they're gonna do. The, I would assume they're gonna do the slingshot technique, right? Yeah, the slingshot. And I think it takes like a year with conventional methods. I mean, it's different with people. It's so seven months. Okay, so the trip yeah. takes about seven months to go to the Mars. So 
How long does it take to go to the moon? You pretty much do that in like the same day. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I will say this. Our first company in space, since this is obviously the wave of the future and everybody needs to be figuring that shit out now, our company is going to be named The Sweet Spot. <laughs> Regardless of what we're producing or, or, or selling. <laughs> going to be a sweet spot. So it takes about three days to <laughs> three days to go to the moon and seven months to go to Mars. So if you have a catastrophe... To rectify that in three days versus seven months is quite a bit a difference. Are you saying time versus money? I'm yeah. <laughs> I'm saying using your noodle versus being Trump. <laughs> well, Tyler, you had you were telling us about the moon creating water for Earth. Is that? Oh yeah, I see that. It's funny because I was was digging through Messenger. I thought I sent it there, but I guess I must have sent it through text. To the moon, Alice. So the article reads: The Earth is unique in our solar system. It is the only terrestrial planet with a large amount of water and a relatively large moon, which stabilizes Earth's axis. Both were essential for Earth's developing life. Paleontologists of the University of Munster, Germany. (laughs) Now I don't know why I said that with a Scandinavian accent. Uh, have have now they all sound like they get <laughs> have now been able to show for the first time that water came from earth in the formation of the moon some 4.4 billion years ago so the theory is that basically the earth was formed in the dry inner part of the of the solar system because we are so close to the sun so they think the moon might have actually been outside of our solar system oh, okay and it carried with it the basic elements to make water and oh. that's have moon will travel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little rogue, rogue planet hit us, and then that's what gave us the chance to grow life as we know it. Yeah, because didn't the moon hit the Earth? Yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah, they originally thought it was just another planetoid that was here in the solar system, but now they're starting to believe it might have come from elsewhere. Well, this says the moon was formed when Earth was hit by a body about the size of the moon, also called Thea. Is that it? But they're thinking now the moon actually is what hit us, and they, it, the moon already existed. I didn't. I didn't know anything about any of this. So. They knew the moon was formed by a, a collision with another body. Okay. That like it hit Earth and kind of grazed it, and then got stuck in orbit around Earth. But now they're believing, as opposed to it just have been another like rock floating around our solar system, and might have come from another solar system. So we stole someone's moon. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It was a moon landing. Or it's just a planetoid that formed somewhere and just got flung out of its solar system and just traveled until it hit us. That's kind of cool. So we basically are all incredibly lucky that we got hit by the moon because of the way our solar system worked until the moon arrived. We didn't have enough to sustain life. Yeah, like because our planet is so close to the sun, a lot of the resources like water and the, the elements to make water and whatnot wouldn't have existed because it just kind of burned away. That's crazy. So this collision gave us an ample amount to start this this new this new process of life. Exactly. Oh, interesting. Okay. So we are aliens. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're all we're all aliens in someone's eyes, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> Show me your papers. <laughs> I can't wait for them to come and be like, "Oh my God, you guys are." Oh, fuck, it's so hideous. I mean, I don't mind talking to you, but could you put a bag over your head? Fuck. Right, right. (laughs) Yep. That's interesting, though. So without the formation of our moon, we just wouldn't have any water. Basically, yeah. So that's the current theory. So that's what that's what this article positing is. You know, a new study from that the university in uh, Germany is that they're like, oh, it looks like the, you know, because you look at the other planets that are closer, like Mercury and Venus. 
those are just like dry gas heaps. Right. Like it, they're they're burnt out. There's nothing there, and so like we still kind of fall in that Goldilocks zone. But we should have also not had you know the amount abundancy of water that we should. The sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> the sweet spot. All about that sweet spot. Trademark pending. <laughs> huh. Well, that's interesting. Because I don't know, I guess I just figured our planet was special. We were here. We had we had all the things we need, but it took all these things to make the things that we needed. Wow. And then it took another thing to crash down and wipe out all the dinosaurs. <laughs> so the next thing came. gestation period could happen. Yep. Oh, this is even before the formation of the dinosaurs. Like this was back in like the primordial age of our planet forming. So like this is like the pre-dinos. Yeah, pre-dinos, pre-everything really. Our solar system was still forming essentially. What what's the and, big uh, bag song? Our whole universe was in a hot dense state that nearly 14 million years ago expansion started. Wait. You know, as far as they can they summarize it's like there wouldn't be life on earth without the moon essentially. Yes. That's crazy. That is crazy. Yep. You know how sometimes we kind of take like one step forward to like take six steps back or maybe we'll take three steps forward six inches forward and five inches back (laughs) what's inches what's this oh oh hedwig and the angry inch oh (laughs) my god are you not gay (laughs) (laughs) you're half right You like that? It's funny because that's what that's what I told that dude. I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Are you gay?" I'm like, "Well, you're half right." <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. That's awesome. <laughs> if only I could communicate with my molar. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing, since we're having such a a moons over my hammy conversation. Mm, Moons over my hammy. (laughs) I saw that NASA will be sending a helicopter to hunt for life (laughs) on Saturn's biggest moon. A helicopter? Well, they're calling it a helicopter, but basically it's like a drone. Can we hire somebody (laughs) to give new names for this shit? Jesus Christ. That old dusty motherfucker giving names to this shit ain't cut it. A fucking helicopter in space? That makes no fucking sense. A space copter. There. Did it. Done, guys. (laughs) Space Hilo. It said on the week of June 27th, it says NASA announced it will be sending a spacecraft to the surface of Titan, which is Saturn's largest moon and one of the leading candidates for finding extraterrestrial microbial life in our solar system. Oh, interesting. But it's a small drone-like rotacraft. So that's why they're calling it a helicopter because it's got the same blade. Because it's rotisserie cooked? Exactly. <laughs> so it's it's supposed to fly like small hops to c- across the Titan's surface, covering more distance during its two-year mission than any planetary rover in history. So it's scheduled to launch in 2025, and it will land on Titan in 2034. So it's got a little ways to travel. An 840 million mile journey from the Earth, to be precise. So it's going to, you know, hop around titan and it's going to extract these samples but i guess it says that it's probably going to spend more time on the ground than it is around but i guess by flying it's going to be 
I don't know. It's not going to get stuck in a ditch, maybe. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you mean a car can't be used for everything? Damn. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it says, according to its initial design, the craft will be able to propel itself about 20 miles per hour and fly to altitudes of a little over two miles. It will be powered by the heat produced by the decay of plutonium-238, which is on Titan's moon. So I thought it was kind of cool. Oh, nice. You know, it's just going to go up there. And the last time they were up there, I guess, was when the Voyager spacecraft flew by it in 1970. Hi. Bye. But it was not able to see it through the moon's atmosphere. So they haven't really ever explored it. First venture into that. Yeah. Even though they thought of it in 2000. You know, I'm actually excited about getting old i feel bad for everybody who's old right now they're kind of scared and angry and 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 are reactionary and having all these like political visceral responses but all this pre-planning of of our future right now is really exciting in the sense that if you know we don't fuck it up and like ruin our moon and then we die or something like that it'll be this is like exceptionally exciting as long as complete catastrophe doesn't happen everything will be fine (laughs) new future you know as long as you know we don't as long as when the icebergs melt it doesn't dredge up some old fucking disease we didn't remember or know about (laughs) Ooh, scabies call back to the previous episode where we talked about the permafrost melting and releasing viruses that we're not immune to (laughs) yay exciting (laughs) no I like to live dangerously my old ass will be the first one that gets it but you know I don't know on the other hand I was a kid that played in dirt and that seems to be kind of something that's going by the wayside and speaking of callback I think I talked about this once before that I had a colleague when I worked at who on a cigarette break reached down and 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 picked up some dirt yeah ate the dirt put it in her mouth and ate it and i stumbled on this article here it's called healthy fat hidden in dirt may fend off anxiety disorders wait 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 yeah yeah yeah, sure if we all just eat dirt the world would be a happier place is that what i'm gathering I mean, I saw Joe Dirt, and despite all his dysfunction, he was relatively pretty happy. It's true. God made dirt, and dirt don't hurt. Things gonna happen for me. I'm Joe Dirt! <laughs> Shitters. 30 years after scientists coined the term hygiene hypothesis to suggest the increased exposure to microbialism could benefit health. University of Colorado Boulder researchers have identified an anti-inflammatory fat in a soil-dwelling bacterium that may be responsible. The discovery published Monday in the journal, which, by the way, this is a pretty recent article. This is May 29th, 2019. The discovery published Monday in the Journal of Pharmacology may at least partially explain how the microbacterium Vase, V-A-C-C-A-E, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, quells stress-related disorders. It also brings researchers one step closer to developing a microbe-based stress vaccine which I thought was kind of interesting. So that we're going back and we're exploring the things that are in dirt. good old-fashioned dirt or old friends, the beneficial microbials in the soil. My concern, though, on the other hand, is the level of stress that everybody seems to be in and their everyday working environments or just living or being a mom or what have you. I mean, are we going to... Well, apparently they're not eating dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Go outside and just eat big handfuls of dirt. <laughs> but if they make a vaccine like this and... We 
have an irresponsible government, you could really kind of just make everybody a drone and make them do whatever you kind of want because they won't have... Tanya, our government has never been irresponsible. (laughs) No, never. (laughs) You know, with everything that has good intentions, there's that kind of that negative side. You know, I mean, they're thinking, you know, the good intention side of it is a precursor to PTSD. One of the things that they really kind of pointed out was kind of just protecting people just on their everyday jobs, such as, you know, EMT workers. And the idea is that the humans have moved away from farms and agriculture or hunter gathering existence into cities. We've lost contact with organisms that have served to regulate our immune systems and suppress and inappropriate inflammation. So basically because we don't even touch the dirt. It's something that inadvertently we're removing completely from part of our system. And it's it's a huge key that unlocks the door of making us continuously be healthy. So our need to be exaggeratedly clean has has apparently caused some issues. One showed that children raised in a rural environment surrounded by animals and bacteria-laden dust grow up to have more stress-released immune systems and may be at lower risk of mental illness than a pet-free city dweller, hmm. which is really kind of interesting. That's why I'm so chill, because I grew up in the dirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I remember being out in the backyard, digging around in the dirt, playing with worms, playing with ants, right? shit like that. Yeah. And, but why do I have all this anxiety? <laughs> Get back in that sandbox. <laughs> I always get kind of nervous when, you know, something that they've gone out of their way to remove us from, they want to reinstate. And why? what is usually the reason behind reinstating something? And usually it's numbers in some capacity, whether it be dollars or just data right. in particular. A better, stronger workforce. What's wrong? I need something stronger. Take four red capsules. In 10 minutes, take two more. Help is on the way. You could have all your wage slave is not calling out as much. <laughs> Happy. I'm so happy. Did you take your pill today? <laughs> Friggin' dirt worshiper. I had a sandbox. <laughs> <laughs> what was I just thinking? I don't care. So I've been looking for a book to listen to. I'd uh, finished the uh, Beastie Boys book there, which, by the way, is fucking excellent. Uh, if, if you haven't, oh, nice. if, you, if it's your first audio book that you're getting into and you're really into music or you're really into engineering sound, that's a great first book to be introduced to. It's got a plethora of voices and humor and just good feelings behind it, even despite their loss. But so it kind of left me once it was finished, like most things, you know, it was just like, oh, God, what am I going to do now? And from reading that article on the microbiums, I was thinking about how I wanted to read Michael Pollan's book. For those of you who aren't familiar with Michael Pollan, Julie and I are actually a pretty big fan of his. He wrote The Botany of Desire, which ended up turning into great documentaries. So if you're, you know, a lethargic reader, you know, there's there's some great documentaries out there. But this book here that I was wanting to read is called It's How to Change Your Mind, What the Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About 
consciousness, dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. One of the first things that you learn about right out of the gate is a fungus called ergot. Are you guys familiar with that? Not to, not to be mistaken with the egot, which is an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony, which we will never see at Tripace Pod. <laughs> <laughs> I disagree. You're supposed to say, and the Oscar goes to. And the winner is. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with ergot? No. Nope. No, I'm not. Ergot, I got none. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad punny. It was a reach. Ergot, well, he talks about it extensively but at, later on in the book, but in the beginning stages of the book, he points out that it could be the potential blame or the catalyst for the Salem witch trials. Ergot is a fungus that, Among us? that grows in flour. Yeah, it's it's a it's among us in flour and rye. And Oh, like wheat wheat from flour. Okay. And it was it has alkaloid capacities to it. So you know, in the early days it was highly used by midwives, for example, to to induce what's an alkaloid? Well Wikipedia says alkaloids are a class of naturally occurring organic compounds mostly contain basic nitrogen atoms. That's not really helpful. Nitrogen, yeah. The first individual alkaloid, morphine, was isolated in 1804 <laughs> from the opium poppy. Okay, I like it. Good old Flintstones chewable morphine. <laughs> alkaloids are produced by a large variety of organisms, including bacteria, fungi, plants, and animals. They can be purified from crude extracts of these organisms by acid-based extraction. Oh, interesting. Well, in, in the early days, it was used to induce labor. <clears throat> They're giving you morphine for labor, but they didn't know it. Not necessarily morphine, but right. They weren't giving it for the pain necessarily. They were giving it to, to help because back then, you know, a lot of women died during childbirth. So they were trying to avoid that. But in, in this book is a complete cast of characters, not your normal, you know, while Timothy Leary is mentioned, the great marketing LSD campaigner that he was. <laughs> As, and he notes in the book, by the way, that anytime he had some sort of financial difficulty, Timothy Leary would n nonetheless put out a book, which is, you know, basically what every artist does now. <laughs> but they said they <laughs> time for another payday. <laughs> right. So I went down this this rabbit hole about Ergot because of the mention of the Salem witch trials. And I just sent you guys uh, secrets of the dead. So Ergot is caused by the fungus we need somebody to read this scientific shit to us. <laughs> C-L-A-V-I-C-E-P-S. Claviceps? It's called by fungus clav claviceps. Uh, purpurea? <laughs> <laughs> Poopery. <laughs> claviceps. Claviceps. So the person who first came upon this was a woman by the name of Linda Corpaverell. She began nosing around into the Salem witch trials as a college student and in the early 1970s. She had no idea that the common grain fungus might be responsible for the terrible events of the 19... Excuse me, of the 19... Basically, <laughs> of the 1690... Of last week! <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> the fungus might be responsible for the terrible events of 16. 1992. But then the pieces began to fall into place. Coppinell, now a behavioral psychologist of New York's 
Rennesalar Polytechnic Institute soon noticed a link between the strange symptoms reported by Salem accusers, chiefly eight young women, and the hallucinogen effects of the drugs like LSD. LSD is a derivative of ergot, which I didn't know. I mean, I guess makes sense. You know, it's kind of interesting when you look at all of these things that are kind of connected together, because I always just simply think of LSD as being a synthetic. But when you look at how science has to manipulate these forms into other keys to open up other doors, you you tend to be removed from the organic parts of it. So uh, the directive ergot, a fungus that affects rye grain, ergotism, ergot poisoning, had indeed been implicated in other outbreaks of bizarre behavior, such as the affliction affected in a small French town of Pointe Saint-Esprit in 1951, which is really interesting because that town had like a spell where like everybody fucking went crazy for a minute and the source of it was this one fucking bakery. Oops. And French being the skeptical people that they are, there's a lot of controversy as to whether or not that wasn't a government study that was being done or if it was in fact a legit you know accidental poisoning from just this one bakery i mean i mean interpol is in Lyon, france so i don't know i mean i guess it's possible but ergot actually be the culprit of the salem witch trials did it have the means and the opportunity to wreak havoc in salem that's really interesting like kind of just default of thought it was just you know either just religious fervor or people like, I don't like Frank. Let's get rid of Frank. (laughs) Frank's a witch. Right, right. (laughs) Me too. Well, that makes sense that they were like temporarily insane or whatever because of some consumption. You know, was it midwives that were affected? Were these women specifically eating at a bakery? And, you know, a lot of times I tend to think that there's this left and right social black and white thing that's going on and you're right and I'm wrong and I have more power and you don't but if the catalyst is that these women were legitimately acting crazy they, you know they tripped balls one time and they thought like you know <laughs> Bertha over there just cast a firebolt <laughs> she, she's fucking a witch damn dude <laughs> this is interesting this PBS article says that ergot thrives in warm damp rainy springs and summers And when they examined the diaries of the Salem residents, she found that those exact conditions had been present in 61. Nearly all of the accusers lived in the western section of Salem Village, a region of swampy meadows that would be prime breeding ground for this fungus. Hmm. At the time, rye was a staple grain of Salem. The rye crop consumed in the winter of 61 to 62, when the first unusual symptoms began to be reported, could easily have been contaminated by large quantities of ergot. And in the summer of 62, however, it was very dry, which could explain the abrupt end of the bewitchments. Oh, wow. You know, that's kind of curious, too. Like, what was the societal change that just said that everybody was like, they ran out? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have it anymore. They ran out. Everyone they got a new tripping. shipment. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. They were like, fuck, it's a dry town. <laughs> and maybe the women were completely not affected, but the but the people attacking them were affected. Think about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. Like maybe they were gluten intolerant, so they weren't eating <laughs> rye. <laughs> <laughs> they just stay away from that rye. But yeah, I mean if if people weren't eating it because they didn't like the taste of the bread or they couldn't right. afford the bread. Th- think about it. You would be odd man out. Who the fuck's listening to you? Person over there making sense. Yeah, because <laughs> the people who were sought after were were the poor people, correct? Weren't they they were like the poor outcasts. Kinda, yeah, so yeah. If you have these rich empowered people 
fucking tripping their balls off, you look at them funny because you're like, what the fuck is this person tripping their balls off for? Then they're going to be like, ah, you're a witch. <laughs> that's, that's Spinster over there who's not married. She can't get laid. What's wrong with her? <laughs> witch, witch, witch. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm at the infant stages of it, so I'll, I'll definitely be talking about it more. I highly recommend you guys oh, sure. reading it. Anything, anything with Michael Pollan, I absolutely love. We actually came out here. We flew out here from Massachusetts to see him speak. Well, to do a debate, actually, with John Mackey, who was completely out of his element. It was around the time when everybody was really upset about lobsters. There must have been like a, a viral publishing of everybody being clued down on the idea that lobsters don't like to be fucking on top of one another, much like people don't like to be. And so it was a big, huge issue. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Gang bang, sign me up. Yep. <laughs> Just got to keep my NASA shoes on. <laughs> my NASA Nikes on. <laughs> the golden swoosh. Hold on, I have to lace up. <laughs> it's going to be a long night. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, it was a, a huge thing going on at the time and, and it was bringing everything to the purview and Michael Pollan, who's a, a gracious person, uh, was really actually quite kind to John Mackey, who was clearly out of his element there at the University of Berkeley. But, you know, in looking him up, because I was like, you know, I, I love everything that he writes and he does. I, I should really kind of learn more about him and come to find out he is related to Michael J. Fox. Huh. Great Scott. I know this is heavy. Oh, really? His sister is Michael J. Fox's wife, Tracy. Huh. Damn. This I did not know. I'll have to go back to the future to find out more. <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, oh my God. And then when I looked back at his picture, I was like, oh my God, I can totally see her in his face. He's got a beautiful face. So this is his sister? Is that what you said? Yeah. That's crazy. Interesting. So are you starting the Tripace Pod book club? <laughs> we have a recommended reading corner. Uh, you, I mean, that's probably not healthy. My next book could be about farts. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be on brand with us. So. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a book. A reading rainbow. Ooh. Speaking about six foot tall women, I don't rem ever remember the, that chick's name from Game of Thrones, the really tall chick. Uh, Brian of Tarth. Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah. Did you hear about Gwendolyn? No. She nominated herself to the Emmys. She paid her own fee. Game of Thrones didn't invest money in, in her performance. So she was like, if, if I don't have my own back, who the fuck is going to? And obviously nobody. So she nominated herself and she's up for a fucking Emmy. Oh, nice. Yeah, she was red. This says... It costs Gwendolyn Christie, Alfie Allen, and Carice Von Houten $225 each to submit themselves for consideration to the Emmys, which, given that all three were announced as nominees last week, sounds retrospectively like a bit of a bargain. That's So apparently it's common practice for people to submit themselves if the network does not, but it's less common for them to actually win the nod having done so. The internet seemed impressed by the go get em attitude of the trio to show its approval, allowed the meme of Brianna Tarth writing a book of brothers to graduate from Sex in the City uh -uh. girls spoof <laughs> to a symbol. <laughs> let's, let's see this said meme. Click the links below to view it. When I read the article, the image they used was from the, the Met Gala, and she had this beautiful dress on. I don't know who designed that dress for her, but she was just absolutely stunning. She is an attractive woman. She's oh, yeah. just a lot of woman, yeah. which is not my thing. <laughs> I'd be okay climbing that mountain. Ain't no mountain high enough 
You take it, buddy. <laughs> Tyler says, I shall conquer this woman. <laughs> I mean, as a friend, I will help carry the ladder to the destination point, but I can't climb the ladder with you. <laughs> the the meme, I don't know if you saw it, the meme is her at the, you know, the last scene where she's writing in the Game of Thrones book, uh, documenting Jamie Lannister. So it's a picture of that still shot with her writing and it says, and I couldn't help but wonder, maybe this Game of Thrones was no game after all. <laughs> oh my God. And also another one says, <laughs> I couldn't help but wonder, can anyone tame the mister that loves his sister? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help wonder why. I was given the duty of writing the Wikipedia page for a man who left me instead of you know, having my own arc completed. <laughs> right. Yeah. That yeah. was a little weird. Now, now you really are the are the culprit. You're the reason. I just want to be sure about this. Was is he the person that loaned out all the DVDs for Game of Thrones, like the first four seasons? Julie, was that you, Tyler? Yep. Yeah, you were watching it. Right? Yeah, and I, I got video copies. I was letting you borrow them there at the beginning when it was first yeah, getting yeah, yeah. going. So then, you know, cut to we're doing the we're doing a podcast together, and he's like, "I can't. I'm not down with that shit. It's too depressing anymore." So he injects it into my life. Mm-hmm. And f- four seasons <laughs> in, it's like Julie's like, "We really need to watch this." I'm like, "I'm not really thinking." And then that's Tyler, my you thing. abandoned ship. <laughs> the first four seasons were really good, and then it, it once it got away from like the source material, it just it really took a nosedive. Yeah. And then, and so I stayed with it. I stayed committed to it. I don't do that with a lot of shows. I've done it with Roseanne, mm-hmm. with Sex in the City, Queerest Folk in the L Word, which is a real task. <laughs> I've done that with Six Feet Under and one other show. What did, what's the show with John Hamm? Mad Men. Mad Men. Mad Men. We did that with Mad Men. So for, for me to have done that is really, really saying something. And to get to the end and the writing be so bad. Oh, yeah. I was just like, what the? Yeah, I originally got out of it just because it got way too rapey, and I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm just done with this. Like, <laughs> Way too rapey. Yeah, it, it was pretty... Yeah. No, this isn't for rape anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And I would read the cliff notes every time a season would finale. I'd just, like, just read the cliff notes of what happened, just to kind of keep surmise what, what people were talking about, but I, I never watched what it. What was going on, right? It was crazy. It was it was just like normal life. The business people took over in the end, and it got really weird. Yeah. Well, like it, I, then shit got because Comic Con is this weekend. Oh okay. Oh yeah. And yes. they were having a panel with the writers, and apparently, like, they got all butt hurt because people were calling out, like, "What the fuck was this shit?" Oh, funny. Yeah, of course. Now it's being. Sp- spun as you know the cast was getting booed at and stuff like that but it was like no they they booed the what is it the writers D brothers yeah exactly like they they were booed them and they're like oh no you're booing the cast like no they're booing the directors who just kind of yeah, like that's didn't know how to finish the story that's business egotism you know i actually thought this image was from the met gala but it actually looks like the premiere of the last season oh, would have been know. it would have been perfect for the met gala yeah it is the premiere i was listening to michael rosenbaum's podcast with rain wilson and they were talking about the Game of Thrones and, and he said it was it just felt very rushed at the end. Mm-hmm. He's like you had yeah. like this epic battle that happened in one episode, whereas before oh, it was yeah. like a whole season well, that, of build up cleaned up for the politics. <laughs> so they were like, Oh, we got we gotta hurry up then. That's one thing <laughs> you know, that bugged so. me was like you've built the White Walkers as being this huge existential threat that like no one is acknowledging, no one's preparing for, and they're com they're coming. And it was like, Oop, I got you <laughs> And yeah, and it just it 
you know, then they're finally there and people are getting ready for it. But even then they're like, they're outmatched and it's like, oh, fuck, you know. They took a play note from The Sopranos is what they did. Yeah. And it's just a shit ending. (laughs) It was just like, okay, I guess that's over. (laughs) Because like, you know, you remember from the very first episode, you see a White Walker. Yeah. Yeah. It was like season, 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 season. Yeah. So it was like the whole winter is coming. Winter is coming. Like there's this horrible threat coming for us. It's like it's it's definitely a parallel of you know environmental change for us. They were sniffing their own farts. If they had too many yes people around them. And I yeah. know that's not exactly what you were talking about, but that's really what it pulls down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it did feel like it was kind of rushed at the end, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and just really bad endings for character arcs. I think it's terrible that the actors are having to take onus of that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's that's crazy. They're not they're not the ones. What he's saying is people assumed they were booing the actors, but what they were really doing was booing the yeah. writers. They're yeah, they're booing the writers. I took his statement more as the people that are that manage who distribute that information. It sounded mm-hmm. to me like. They put it on. They made sure that what was submitted out there for for PR purposes was that it was the actors and not the writers. Exactly. Yeah. I, that's it's, how. I, oh, okay. Yeah. No. That's that's kind of what I've I've been reading. Is that like the article is spinning like Game of Thrones cast booed at Comic Con, and it's like, well, no, it wasn't the cast per se. It was the writers that were not. Me- yeah, that's just how the yeah. headline is. And the writers through. aren't coming out and defending their their cast. They're not taking ownership or responsibility for that. They're letting all of that fall on their actors, and I think that fucking sucks. Yeah. Well, again, there was a lot of stuff afterwards you heard from the cast and crew. Like, yeah, it was kind of going off the rails there at the end. And a lot of the you know actors talked about their character arcs and how they finished, and they just didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. I did. I read a pretty good article about, what's her name? Oh, Daenerys, yeah, Amelia Clark. She was in Vanity Fair. Daenerys had a big article, and it was like, just how that whole story went down and her process of it. It was, it was really well written. She's very well spoken about it. But yeah, she was kind of like, it's my character and that's what they said my character would do do i 100 percent agree with it not necessarily but i stand behind her 100 percent because that's who i was yeah i feel like it was possible it was plausible for her character to go in that direction i don't have a problem with that yeah i have a problem with the delivery exactly if the delivery doesn't hit home if you don't walk away with the content being placed in the minds in an appropriate package that's on you mm. And that's part of the reason when he when he said that, I was like, that really fucking sucks that they're letting their actors take that bullshit because these people all have to go to casting calls afterward. Other news out of the San Diego Comic-Con that I saw, which I thought was interesting, was Natalie Portman has been announced as the female Thor. Mm, Yeah, because in the comic book universe, there's a point where Thor isn't worthy to carry the hammer anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the hammer picks who, who can carry it. Right. And... There's a bit where Thor becomes unworthy of carrying it, so he can't carry anymore. And I think it's his girlfriend at the time or something like that. She is deemed worthy. And then she basically, anyone who carries the hammer becomes Thor kind of thing. <sighs> so, like, she becomes Thor because the fact that she's able to wield the hammer. You can't be Thor without your hammer. <laughs> yep. Just from visual optics alone. So, this vegetarian is going to hold this giant fucking <laughs> hammer? Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. How's that going to work? That's going to be. Interesting. She's worthy. It's not heavy if you're worthy. I mean, she's yeah, she's definitely a good actress, and I appreciate a lot of her work. I liked her in Annihilation and V's for Vendetta. Yeah, I like her when she does dirty gangster rap. <laughs> I haven't seen that. She's incredibly funny on uh, 
SNL. Hold on, we'll send it to you. We'll take a pause. Take pause. So, Natalie, what's a day in the life of Natalie Portman like? Do you really want to know? Please, tell us. Hello, dudes! You know I'm talking to you! We love you, Natalie! I want to you, too! Damn, Natalie, you a crazy chick. Yo, shut the up and suck my What's the greatest thing about that is she came back and did it again. Wow, I gotta say, it seems like you're almost exactly the same, but with current references. Untrue. I'm a mother now. It's really changed my perspective. And do you find it difficult juggling kids in a career? You can juggle these nuts. What? I don't dance now, I make mommy moves. When I gave birth, I didn't even push. I was blazed out, smoking bomb kush. When my water broke, you know what, you're on the doctor. <laughs> So speaking about juggling these nuts, let's talk about the big elephant in the room. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> Just that Natalie Portman was going to be in the new Thor movie and oh, yeah, yeah. we're going to have to smelt that down to smaller hammer because that's a tiny girl filling in some big shoes. My understanding with the franchise uh, going in the direction that it's going, Chris Hemsworth is going to be concentrating on uh, his family. He's going to basically kind of retire. Oh, I was looking forward to... Uh... Well, spoilers, you know, seeing Thor in space with uh, the Guardians. Oh, yeah. What the oh, fuck? I don't Cause, know. Because, you know, how it ends with Endgame, it's like him flying off with them. That's what... So are you saying that he's not really going into retirement then? Maybe that's not true. I don't true, know. I mean, I, I, I know a lot of their contracts were up at the end of this phase. I think it's like phase three, phase four, whatever the fuck it was, uh, just ended with the newest Spider-Man. Oh. And now they're moving on to a new phase. So, like, the, the Avengers arc is done, and now they're going to start a whole new thing. That's cool. I mean, that's cool because that keeps somebody employed. I mean, that's really awesome to create this constant. I mean, as long as the quality and the content is good and it, it appears to be, I, th I think that's awesome. It makes great business sense. And it sounds like they really got it tailored down. I'm just yeah. curious as to how that's going to practically work with her. And I'm, I, I can't be the only person questioning that. Speaking of juggling nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You said speaking of juggling, I Googled something and tatas came up <laughs> yeah it says oh here you go i mean it's good to be a tassel spinner said elvira the other thing that i i saw was that the eternals is coming out and they are angelina jolie tessa thompson they're doing the eternals i don't know what the eternals what is, is the eternals duh, duh, duh. i'm not super familiar with the eternals i know it's definitely a bunch of like side characters but, you know, the fact that Tessa Thompson is going to be back, I am totally on board with because I have a huge crush on her. Uh, and yeah, I, really, she... I really liked her in the Thor Ragnarok. Who is she? Tessa Thompson, the chick from Westworld who was dating Janelle Monae. Mm. She's cute, but Janelle Monae's hotter. <laughs> I, I loved her in fucking Thor. She plays the Valkyrie, the last Valkyrie. Oh, okay. I like her in the fucking Men in Black ads. That's fucking badass. Yeah. That movie kind of came and went real fast. Aw, <laughs> did you yeah. see it? I didn't see it. It was one of those, like, I was like, oh, I'll go check that out. And then it was like, oh, it's already gone from theaters. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if it just didn't have the star power. Because she's such a good actress. I can't imagine. Yes, yeah, so it had Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth. It's like both of them are pretty, you know, high list because she's also from Creed and she was really good in that. Yeah, she's been around in a lot more stuff than I actually thought because I only knew her from Westworld. I knew her from the Janelle Monet pussy pants video. Yeah, the, the pink video. <laughs> Baby pink, her is deepest inside. 
talking about rain and uh, michael rosenbaum there his podcast and inside of you inside of you i'm not i'm not a huge podcast person which is kind of funny because i'm in one <laughs> but uh julie periodically sends me some really great podcasts and and his has been really really good uh the other thing that you send me is the daily and i love that so two podcasts that i'm listening to are the daily and rosenbaum's podcast here <laughs> rosenbaum inside of you so the first one she sent me had Cassandra Peterson in it. Are you familiar with who she is? No, I'm not. She She's Elvira. Oh, okay. And it was a really great show because it's a great opportunity. He has like all these connections with these. He played Lex Luthor in Smallville. See, I didn't watch Smallville. Yeah, I never saw it either. I didn't know who he was at all. I didn't actually know who he was until the podcast, which really says something because I feel like the quality content is definitely there. Are you familiar with who he is, Tyler? It's another negative. You didn't watch Smallville either, huh? No, yeah, no, I didn't watch it. It's, it's always heard good things about it, but yeah. But he was in... Oh, oh yeah, he was in Guardians of the Galaxy too. So it's a great podcast. You should give it a go. He's got a lot of connections with women. I've kind of found like women kind of really trust him, and, and which is interesting because the name of his show is Inside of You, and it's something that he kind of jokes about, and every woman on there is like, oh, God, the fucking... I'm here, but the name of the show... <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing, and they're really accepting of it because, you know, they go on to say, like, these are most amazing things. One one thing is, is the reason why Elvira came into my life is that I have probably seen every horror film and military film ever made from, like, the 1950s to, like, 1989, 90-something like that. And, and inadvertently, I have, like, all this kind of weird history and have all this knowledge about these movies and, and, and whatnot. And... One of the cool movies that came into our lives because of the horror connection was Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, which I found fucking hysterical. Have you ever seen that movie? Mm -mm. So it's a campy film. It's interesting that you brought up Hedwig and the Angry Inch. It's very campy in that kind of way. And it was like a tongue in cheek horror film. I'm sure Hedwig is totally inspired by Elvira. I mean, definitely in some aspects, for sure. Yeah. But what I didn't realize, really, was that she was a writer for that movie. Oh. And at that time, when it came out in, like, the 1980s, to be credited as a writer on a film and be the actress on it, she must have fucking fought tooth and nail. Because when I went to the Internet Movie Database, there were two gentlemen named before her. And in order to say that she was the writer, you had to click on a link that said... And basically also, and then she was like begrudgingly put yeah. <laughs> But one of the things is, is that he has like access to these women of a certain age who are still in the industry in some capacity and kind of like their take on the Me Too movement in comparisons to what they ended up having to go through. And so they don't really totally get on board with the Me Too movement in the film industry. You know, one of the women that he, he had on there was Beverly D'Angelo. And she was like, I was never so fucking dumb to fuck somebody to be in a movie and if you guys aren't familiar with who Beverly D'Angelo is uh, she was in all of the vacation movies she was an entourage she was the mom in Christmas Vacation yeah 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 in all the vacation movies she was the mom yeah yeah 
the children change. Well, you have to preface that because the, the, the actors for the kids change, but the parents always stayed the same. <laughs> but you know what? I, you know, she was actually in American History X and she was in High Fidelity, which I personally love because I love music. But it was really interesting to hear the two women talking to another man so openly and candid about kind of their experiences. And while Beverly in particular was very staunch in like drawing a line somewhere mm. and in the defense of all women out there, I think women in the 60s and 70s and during the drug culture and hippie era did have more freedom or at least they they had a sense of reality that they had more control than what was being led on and i don't know if everybody really sees it that way now i think they think they're in control if they have like certain monetary things but actual control in their destination is not usually one of them in my personal experience that I've seen. But Elvira, when she was on there, you know, it was really important for her to get across that her first sexual encounter was with Tom Jones. Are you familiar with? That's not, it's not unusual. unusual. <laughs> we dipped into the same well. <laughs> this is a tri pod duet. Isn't You're that welcome. funny? So you know who Tom Jones is, right? And yep. that's kind of what her point was, is her first sexual experience was with Tom Jones. Now, she was a very free-spirited, strong person, was a go-go mm. dancer. And was a showgirl. In Vegas. And was. she said she barely had any clothes on. The only thing she ever had on was feathers. And he didn't believe that this was her first sexual encounter and went about his business the way he would normally Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. He hurt her so bad that I actually, aside from listening to this podcast, read in a, in a separate interview that she had done that she'd had to have stitches. Holy shit. Dang. <laughs> so the, that isn't even the craziest part about it. The crazier part about it is that in a later date, she had been at a Hollywood party. And, you know, you're like, all right, I was young. I probably shouldn't have put myself in that position. I know a little bit more now. Maybe I shouldn't be a go-go dancer. Maybe I shouldn't be so trusting of other people to do the right thing in my best interest. So she goes and introduces her friend and, and is talking to him. And she was like, do you remember who I am? And he goes, oh, yeah, you're the girl with the scars all over her back. Here's something that a lot of people didn't know about her. Elvira, with as, as sexual as a person, a character persona that she plays, up to 35% of her back was burnt. Holy fuck. When she was a kid, yeah, she spilled boiling water on herself. And this really just fucking mortified the shit out of her, obviously. So so it was really interesting that this many years later that she would go on to to tell this story. So I hear a lot of young actresses and whatnot judging everybody about how they are moving forward with the Me Too movement. And I think just by people talking alone about their stories is the best way anybody can contribute to it. Yeah. You know, it's just like grieving. Not everybody grieves the same way. Now, but not everybody w- walks through through life the same way. And it's really refreshing to hear some of these, you know, older actresses come out and be forthcoming about this this information. You know, Elvira right now has, you know, fun stuff that you can get at Hot Topics, and she's building a, a whole new fan base and inadvertently because of it. And and it's really cool that people are going to have this information under their belt. <laughs> One of the things that I found interesting about Beverly D'Angelo's interview is that while she wasn't married to Al Pacino, they were together for a very, very long time. They had two children together. She had twins when she was like 40. (laughs) They had an open relationship. There's a great story in there about Carrie Fisher in particular. You guys should just check it out. It's fucking awesome. So they had this open relationship and it was working out for them. But then at some point, they had a, a financial manager, Ken Starr, come into the picture. My understanding was he was he was 
in the picture. And she, because she was supposed to stay at home because of, you know, being pregnant, she was bedridden and whatnot. She was looking through books and that's when she found out. And she's a pretty good judge of character because of her life experiences up till that point that she was like, you need to look into this guy. He had been Al Pacino's business associate for quite some time prior to her being there now I, d- I don't deny that he was there prior but they all liked her at one point and then they didn't like her the next it was as soon as she said you need to look into him something something fishy's going on and as soon as she raised that flag everybody started to turn on her she spoke out essentially come to find out you know a few years later he ended up being in a huge lawsuit over a ponzi scheme <laughs> yeah and he basically admitted <laughs> that involved what 25 million i think it was more yeah you have to pull it up i think it was like 39 she or she said that he admitted to like 39 million dollars which essentially when somebody admits to a certain amount it's usually way more and that's just the amount that they they document Jeez. 59 million damn it says Kenneth Starr, not the Kenneth Starr that everyone thinks of, but this this douchebag instead of that douchebag. I mean, a douchebag has a fucking purpose. Just would Very like true. to put that out there. I got a new purpose now. Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but these people are giving douchebags bad names. <laughs> oh, he alleged it wasn't the amount of $59 million, but his client list that it affected people in the likes of Bunny Mellon, Barbara Walters, Al Pacino, Caroline Kennedy, oh and Matt Lauer. Al Pacino, Natalie Portman, Martin Scorsese, Carly Simon, Wesley Snipes, but who cares about him? He wasn't doing legal money shit anyways. Sylvester Stallone okay. and Uma Thurman. Basically, anybody who is making a shit ton. <laughs> Lauren Bacall, <laughs> Neil Simon, Denise Richards, Jim Watt. I mean, this guy was an asshole. So it was really interesting for her to right away, what, whatever set it off, dig her heels in and go, no, to Al Pacino, to fucking Scarface. What I try to tell you, lesbian, what I try to tell you, this country, you got to make the money for it. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the war. <laughs> this guy is a powerful man. She's in a fucking villa somewhere and she's having his fucking twin babies and she's like, no, absolutely fucking not. And he he tried to gain custody of their children over this. He, he stood by this person. She had all of her Hollywood fucking friends going, you know, maybe you should calm down a bit. Maybe you should just, you know, be a little more passive. And it's really great to hear these women not be so yeah. passive and to tell their stories because I think the biggest contributor to the Me Too movement is women's silence. So for people out there who are like, well, I feel like this person should be doing this. Fucking be glad anybody's doing anything now. It's been silent for too long. Yeah, uh, people suck. That's that's my summary. Long and short summary. of it, people suck. The long and short of it, hopefully, will be that that everybody needs to be a contributing factor in today's current yeah. climate. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of TriPace Pod. Look forward to hearing our voices in your ear holes once again at the beginning of next month. Don't forget to like and subscribe to TriPace Pod on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud because it stimulates dopamine production in our brains every time you do. You can creep on us from afar at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at TriPacePod. And of course, check out show notes, contact information, and buy merch at TriPacePod.com. And as always, you're awesome. Speaking well, of good thing. Go ahead. What?
Good. I was going to say, good thing Good thing that's not going to be all in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or is it? <laughs> or is it? I mean, you have to tune in next week to find out. <laughs> smell you later. <laughs> oh, <dear God. laughs> oh lord oh lord won't you buy me a mercedes benz